So Mahatma Gandhi, he once famously said, I don't, excuse me, I like your Christ, right? I like Jesus. I don't like your Christians. Ouch, right? He said, your Christians are so unlike your Christ. He's saying here is I don't have necessarily a problem with Jesus, right? Jesus is cool. The problem that I have with Christianity, he's saying, is the people who are supposedly supposed to be his representatives here on earth. Well, what did he mean by that? So a recent study by Barna sheds some light on this. If you're unfamiliar, Barna is a research group and what they do is, is they take polls and they kind of gauge religious and cultural trends here in America. And so in a recent study done, they found that most people, late teens, early 20s, feel that Christianity in today's society no longer looks like Jesus. This is their critique as to why young people are not involved in the church anymore and why people are actually leaving the church in droves and leaving the church um, quicker and faster and in a greater abundance than they're coming in. And the study shows that 16 to 29-year-olds exhibit a greater degree of criticism towards Christianity than previous generations did at that stage of life. In fact, in just a decade, many of the Barna measures of the Christian image here in America and worldwide have substantially shifted downward among young people, fueled in part by a growing sense of disengagement and disillusionment among young people. For instance, a decade ago, the vast majority of Americans uh, viewed Christianity in a positive light, and they actually felt that Christianity was a good contributing, co- contributing factor to society. They felt that Christians' role in society was good, even those outside of Christ just a decade ago. Now... of non-Christians in their late teens and 20s have a good impression of Christianity. One of the groups hit hardest by the criticism is evangelicals. Such believers, such as us, have been viewed with some skepticism amongst culture. However, these views, these negative views are crystallizing and intensifying among young people. The new study shows that 3%, 3% of people ages 16 to 29 years old who do not identify as Christian view Christians favorably. That is a concerning statistic. If we are supposed to be the lights of the world, if we are supposed to be a city on a hill, if we are supposed to be representing Jesus, that should concern you and alarm you. So why is it that only 3% of people in that age view Christianity favorably? Well, The study found that 87% of young non-Christians feel that Christians are judgmental. Look at your neighbor and say, don't judge me. (laughs) Say it like that. And look back at them and say, only God can judge me. (laughs) Say it. You didn't say it. You got to say it. And so it isn't just non-Christians that feel this way. The study found that 50% of churchgoers... 50% of those who are amongst Christians and in the body of Christ feel that Christians are judgmental. So David Kinneman, who is a 12-year veteran of the Barna team, he pointed out some of the unexpected findings of the research. I'm going to read this quote that he found. He said, going into this three-year project, 
I assumed that people's perceptions were generally soft based on misinformation and would gradually morph into more traditional views. But then as we probed why young people had come to such conclusions, why young people thought that we were judgmental, he says, I was surprised at how much of their perceptions were rooted in specific stories and personal interactions that they'd had with Christians and in churches. Wow. When they labeled Christians as judgmental, he says this was not spiritual defensiveness, but it was frequently the result of truly unchristian experiences. So the reason that people feel that we're judgmental is because we've been judging them, right? So Christians, more than ever in history, are viewed negatively and seen as judgmental. So this morning, James, the brother of Jesus, is going to speak to this. So we're currently in week 11 of our sermon series going through the letter of James called Wise Guy. And the letter starts off with James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so historically and traditionally, we have attributed this letter to James, the half-brother of Jesus. And he's writing to Christians who are facing mass persecution. They are being persecuted like we can't even imagine. But he writes to them, overall, this is a letter of encouragement. And he encourages these people, he encourages these Christians to look at these uh, trials and obstacles as joyous opportunities for spiritual growth, that these trials and obstacles are actually opportunities to grow uh, in their relationship with Jesus and to grow in their faith. And he writes to these Christians and he writes to us that we actually should look like the Jesus that we claim to know. And he pulls largely from his big brother's most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, as well as a lot of stuff from the Old Testament, specifically Proverbs. And he writes them and he condemns favoritism, which we've talked about. He condemns hypocrisy. He condemns pride. He condemns dead faith. And he says that we should actually do and live out the things that we read about in God's word. That we shouldn't just come in here and hear God's word, but we should go be doers of the word. And he implores us to live with godly wisdom and not worldly wisdom. And today, he gives us another beautifully crafted punch in the gut. And he asks us, who are you to judge your neighbor? So let's jump into our text for today. We're going to be in James chapter 4, uh, verse 11 and 12. Only two verses. Say, come on somebody, amen. Only two, two verses today. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. We're going to have the words up on the screen for you. So James says this. Let me open up my Bible. I'm old school. James says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. Then he claims there's, there's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge your neighbor? Like most of James's letter, he's pulled largely again from his big brother's most famous sermons and some of the parables that he told during his earthly ministry. And Jesus taught actually a lot on judging others. In fact, Matthew 7.1 is probably the most quoted Bible verse by non-Christians. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Judge not, lest ye be judged. Don't judge me, 
or you're going to be judged, right? I've been in, in ministry for about six years, and this has been quoted to me more than any other verse ever, right? Who are you to judge me and my life and my lifestyle choices and the things that I'm choosing to do with my life, right? The great theologian, Miley Cyrus, once said, <laughs> she said, shaking it like we at the strip club, remember, only God can judge us. So forget the haters. Wise words, right? Is she right? Is she right? Is God the only one that can judge us? But does that mean that we get to live <laughs> however we want? Does that mean we get to go shake it at the strip club, right? Is that what that means? Are Christians not supposed to pronounce judgment on others? And if only God can judge you, perhaps that should scare you because he will. Right? But what does James mean by do not slander your brother and your sister and don't judge them? And why is it that we're known for being so judgmental? The stats don't lie. Whether or not we like it or whether or not we think it's fitting, we have a reputation here as being judgmental, as judging those who are outside of Christ and judging those who are within the body of Christ. Even though we are given explicit instructions from our Lord and our Savior not to do it. So let's talk about that this morning. So what does it mean to judge someone? What does it mean to judge somebody? Well, it means in this context to express a bad opinion of someone's behavior, often because you think you are better than that person. Oftentimes, we judge people because we have a perceived emphasize perceived sense of moral superiority. And we think, well, at least I'm not like that person who's committing that sin over there, right? Well, Jesus speaks directly to that. Let's go to the Gospel of Luke where Jesus tells a story of people who, again, have a sense of moral superiority over others and think that that gives them some grounds to judge and condemn others. This is what Jesus says. He says, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves and they thought they were righteous and they treated others with, with contempt. Again, they thought they had a perceived sense of moral superiority, so then they treated others with contempt who they had deemed were below them, right? Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, a religious person, well-respected, and the other is a tax collector whom was hated in this this uh, time period, who was not viewed in a positive light. So uh, it says the Pharisee standing by himself, he prays this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Just calls him out. Thank you that I'm not like him. I fast twice a week. I give tithes all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, because I am a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself, that person's going to be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Well, Let's put this into today's lingo, shall we? All right, so uh, two people come into rooftop on a Sunday morning. One a fourth floor, a member, a small group leader, 
The other, an atheist, a homosexual, someone who who you know has committed adultery, an irregular church attender, a Christmas and Easter church attender comes in. And the fourth floor, the member, he lifts his, his or her hands during worship and prays, thank you that I am not a sinner. Thank you that I am not like that homosexual over there. I'm here every Sunday. I lead a small group. I'm on the fourth floor. I help with all of our outreach events. But the sinner prays, Lord, have mercy on me for I am a sinner. Jesus says that that is the person who's going to go home right with God and the other doesn't. Because whoever exalts himself and has this perceived sense of moral superiority over other people, he says those people will be humbled. But the one who who is humble, that is who Jesus is going to exalt. Listen, I want you to hear me today, this morning. We are not Christians because we are better than other people. You being here does not make you better than other people. I can tell you from personal experience, though, I am a Christian because I know that apart from Jesus, without Jesus, I was lost and I was a broken sinner and I am desperately in need of a Savior. That is why we are Christians, because we recognize our own imperfections, we recognize our own sinful nature, and we have repented and we have been made new. Jesus does not give us a pedestal that we can now stand on to elevate ourselves above other people. Say that one more time and you can say amen if you want to. Jesus does not give you a pedestal to stand on to elevate yourself above those outside of these walls. Jesus reveals to us, though, that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. Jesus actually levels the playing field. None of us have a pedestal to stand on. Jesus actually kicks that right out from underneath of us. And Jesus says this, Do not judge or you're going to be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with that measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Jesus says, you're a hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He warns us to be careful when we judge others because we often have our own problems that we ought to address first. And he teaches us that how you judge others is how God is going to judge you. How you judge others and treat others is how, that's the standard by which God is going to judge you. So when you judge others, you sentence yourself. When you elevate yourself and you pronounce unfair judgment on others, you are really giving God the measure by which he is going to judge you. When you judge others, you condemn yourself. And so the question is, why are we to not judge others? Why are we not to judge other people? Well, here, here are three things that James is going to tell us and illustrate for us in his book and in this passage. Number one, they're your brother 
and your sister. We are one family in Christ. Here James is talking about those specifically who are within the body of Christ, right? This is who he's talking about. Those people who are with you, who are in your family, who belong to Rooftop Church, who are members, those who are in Christ, right? And whether or not we agree with these people and every single thing that they do, if they are in Christ, they are your family. Look at your neighbor and say, you are my family. They are your brother, they're your sister, and we're not to judge them, and we're not to make assumptions about them or treat them differently based on their political affiliation, based on whether or not they want to wear masks, their skin tone, the high school they went to. For some reason here in St. Louis, everybody likes to ask that question. And sometimes I think it's because they want to know how much respect should I give you? What part of town Are you from? We're not to judge people based on these things, the part of town they grew up in, their family dynamics, their church attendance, how your brother or sister in Christ chooses to raise their children, right? We're not to judge people based on these things. We are to love them. We are to care for them. We are to represent to the rest of the world the love and care and the grace of Jesus. Perhaps people on the outside don't want to come in because we're so divided and we're judging each other all the time. We're to be united in Christ. We are part of one body. We are built in together into the temple of God that's here on earth. That is significant. And our role is to lift each other up and to care for each other. And as Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor, not passing judgment on other people. Number two, the law prohibits it. (coughs) Excuse me. I'm so sorry. Verse 11 says this, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother or sister speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but you've made yourself a judge. So he says, if you judge others, you're actually disobeying God's commandments. You're actually disobeying what God has said. What is he talking about? Well, we can go back to Leviticus, my favorite book of the Bible. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. Don't go around slandering people and condemning people and and, and, and being filled with contempt towards other people. Just don't do it. Don't gossip about them. And he says, you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. And then he stamps that with, I'm the Lord your God. And then he says in verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. And then again, he stamps it with, I am the Lord. God gives us explicit instructions not to slander or make false or damaging statements about somebody else. Unfortunately, I think right now Christians are known for doing exactly that thing. He says not to hate your brother. The reason that we slander, the reason that we judge, the reason that we gossip, oftentimes it's rooted in hate. And that's why he says, don't hate your brother and sister, but instead you are to love that person like you love yourself. James tells them to disobey the law is to judge the law. 
What does he mean by that? He's meaning to judge the law is to elevate yourself above what God's word has says. And I can tell you that is a very dangerous thing to become a judge of the law, to judge God's word and pick and choose the things that you want to obey and not. Number three, James illustrates and he tells us God alone is the judge. He says, verse 12, there is only one law giver and judge who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? James tells us there's one judge and you're not that guy. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not that guy. You're not that guy. James tells us we're not the judge. James very bluntly tells us don't judge others because there is one judge. There actually is a judge. People will get what they deserve. And he commands us to withhold our judgment of others because it isn't our job to pass judgment. When you judge others, you are trying to replace God and do what only he has the ability and the qualifications to do. So now though, on the subject of those who are outside of Christ, what are we to do? Maybe that's the question that you've been thinking. Those who are not Christians, those dirty rotten sinners, right? The one shaking it at the strip club, like Miley said. What are we to do with those people? If not, judge them and call out their sin. What are we to do? Love? Love is love, right? Tolerate, be tolerant. Live and let live, perhaps. You do you. You find your truth, right? And I'll find my truth. I'll do what works for me. Well, Jesus actually offers a better option, as he usually does. Let's go to Matthew again. Verses 4 and 5, chapter 7. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own? You hypocrites, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. When you see someone sinning and you want to call out their sin, Jesus says, first, what I want you to do is make the necessary changes in your own life first. Otherwise, he says, that would make you a hypocrite. He's saying to repent. He's saying to stop sinning yourself before you want to call out somebody else's sin. But then he says, once you have fixed your own eye, he says, then you actually are able to see clearly now to take the speck out of your brothers. Notice he doesn't say live and let live. He doesn't even say to tolerate the speck that's in the other person's eye. He says that you're actually to help your brother and your sister. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Because I think this is really important for us and this is what I think we really need to get out of what James is talking about today. Because if we are to change people's perceptions about Christianity, this is what we actually need to do. Because I think there's a lot of people currently who feel the same way about Christians that Mahatma Gandhi did. I don't have a problem with the Jesus that I read about in here. I just have a problem with the people who are supposed to be representing him. Because oftentimes we don't do it like we should. Oftentimes we don't look like Christ. So how do we do this? Whenever we're sharing truth, whenever we're trying to talk to someone outside of Christ about the life that they're living and the lifestyle choices that they're living that are actually damaging and hurting them, and preventing them from flourishing and being all that God has called them to be. How do we do that? Well, we've got to do that from a place of love first and not condemnation. And so again, this is best illustrated by Jesus. So I want to read another passage of scripture. 
So he says this, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees, they brought a woman who has been caught in adultery. So they've just found this woman, caught her red-handed, committing sexual sin. It's not a matter of if she did it. They have caught her doing it. They have caught her in the act. And now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman, they say. What do you say? And this they said to test him that they might have some charge against him. But Jesus bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Again, keep in mind, this woman has committed sexual sin. And perhaps this isn't the first time. Maybe she's a repeat offender. And they've drug her to Jesus, who's this religious figure. And they think surely he is going to pass judgment on this woman and condemn her for her blatantly sinful actions. But what does Jesus do? He says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, he picks up a stone and he hits her in the head with it. No. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Notice what Jesus has done here. Jesus did not say live and let live. He did not let her go in her sin, but he didn't condemn her either. He has showed this woman grace. He didn't condemn her, but he gave her the command to go and sin no more. He has shared love, excuse me, he has shared truth from a place of love. Oftentimes we like to tell people to stop sinning, but often we aren't gracious and we are condemning. Two things that Jesus wasn't. The only person who had the right to judge and to condemn this woman was Jesus, and he didn't. So who are we to pass judgment and condemn others when the only one who had the right to do so chose not to do so? So how then can we become more like Jesus and become less judgmental? I've got three points before we wrap up. Number one is develop an awareness and sensitivity towards others. It's easy to judge others when you have propped yourself up as better than others. And that's really easy for us to do, especially if you are a regular church attender and you're constantly doing lots of things for the body of Christ. But we have to refrain from being like the righteous man in that parable that Jesus talks about. We can't begin to look down on others because of their sin, because we know that without Jesus, we would probably be, we probably were just like them. Jesus rescues us and he has delivered us from sin, not so that we can judge others and think that we're better than them. We should be filled with empathy and we should be filled with compassion when we see people lost in sin. When we see people who are outside of Christ, who do not have this relationship with Jesus, this life-giving relationship, our hearts should break for them and we should desire to bring them in. We should desire to love them like Jesus loves them rather than making assumptions about them and gossiping. Number two, resist the temptation to make quick judgments about people you do not know. <laughs> if you've ever been on social media, People love to criticize and tear down people that they have actually never met before in real life. 
We don't always know everybody's backstory, though. We don't know everybody's motives. We don't know why people do the things that they do. We have to resist the urge to make quick judgments on people. We don't know. Instead of getting angry when people wrong us and then making a generalization about that, a generalizing assumption about them, what we are to do is to extend grace to those people and to forgive them. Again, our heart should break for those who are outside of Christ. Lastly, number three, speak truth with a loving attitude. Jesus did call sin, sin, okay? Jesus did address sin. He did not shy away from sharing truth with people and calling people's sins out. But it is so important to understand it was never done judgmentally and it was never done maliciously and it was never done in order to embarrass them or to even elevate himself as better than them. Jesus didn't see people's sin and then gossip about it or think that they were a lost cause. Instead, Jesus saw people's sins as an opportunity to extend grace and to show love. What if we did that? What if we did that? I think people wouldn't think we were judgmental jerks. If when we see those outside of Christ doing things that we don't agree with, whatever those things may be, what if we didn't judge them, but instead saw that as an opportunity to be like Jesus and to extend grace and love that person? I think if we can do that, we can change people's minds about Christians. And instead of people thinking we're judgmental, what if people outside of our churches thought of Christians, they thought of people who extend grace when it isn't deserved, who love people who are different from them, who don't gossip, who don't slander, who welcome people with open arms who they see are actively in sin, who don't condemn people, who are actively red-handed caught in sin, but radically love them. What if we began to speak truth to those outside of Christ from a place of love and a place of humility, not from a place of perceived moral superiority? We have to remember who we were before Jesus saved us and changed us, and it wasn't so long ago that we were one of those people in need of a Savior. When we share truth, we have to follow the example of Jesus, and we've got to share it from a place of love. We love others, and we want them to flourish We want them to come to know Jesus, and that has to be what motivates us to share truth. We are to share truth not because we are judgmental, but because we know we need a Savior. I'm going to read one more passage of Scripture as we wrap up. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, And do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, nor be deceived? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But look at what he says. He says, and such were some of you. He said, that used to be you. Don't forget that that used to be who you were. But, he says, you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Before Christ, we've got to remember that we were lost. You and I, were those people on the outside. We were the outsiders. We were far from God and we were hostile to him. We've all been in that situation, but God in his mercy, what did he do? He sent his son, Jesus. 
And this verse tells us because of Jesus, not because of your church attendance, not because of where you go to church, not because of the things that you do for God. It says because of Jesus and his sacrifice and who he was and because of his great love, he has cleansed us, he has washed us, he has sanctified us, and we are justified. We are legally made right with God because God judged his perfect son Jesus in our place when Jesus went to the cross. We do not get what we deserve because Jesus took our sin upon himself and he took the judgment of God upon himself so that you and I could be made righteous. This is the kind of mercy and love and grace that has been extended to us even though we didn't deserve it. And so this is the kind of grace and mercy and love that we as the body of Christ, we get to extend to others because Jesus has paid it all. We are free from judgment, but we are now free not to judge others. We are free to share truth in love. We are free to extend grace, even if you don't think that person deserves it. We are free to fully love our neighbor, knowing that there is one judge. And that judge chose to pay it all so that you could be justified. So who are we to judge our neighbors?